On a summer's day in the month of May, a burly bum come a-hiking. He was walking down land through the sugar candy. He was looking for his liking. And as he strolled along, he sang a song of the land of Middle Canada. Hey there, this is the Sounds of the Trail podcast, a place where we talk about the ups, downs, and switchbacks of trail life. It's time for a hike. Where a bum can stay for many a day, and he won't need any money. Welcome back to Sounds of the Trail. This is episode number 21, The Main Thing, and I'm your host, Gizmo. So, most of our episodes sort of revolve around a theme or a topic, and today's topic is Maine. And folks, this is going to be a great show. I feel sort of like Conan O'Brien when I'm saying that. Welcome back to Sounds of the Trail. And folks, do we have a great show lined up for you tonight? But it's true. We do have a great show lined up. And that is because all of our interviews today take place in Maine with Mainers. And I just, I don't know that it can get any better than that. Being from Arizona, I have been friends with approximately three people from Maine in my entire life. They just don't make it down to Arizona very often. And all three of them have been so wonderful and people that I have I've truly loved and been happy to have be a part of my life. And frankly, all of these interviews just went to reinforce this idea that I already had that the people from Maine are the best people in the world. And why are they the best? They're the best because they're tough, because they're kind, and because they like to talk about lobster. And we didn't even have to tell them to. Every single one of our interviewees talked about lobsters, so you should be excited about that. To start off today's episode, we're going to start off with Pain Wizard, who is almost finished with his northbound through hike of the Appalachian Trail. And there's one thing of note about Pain Wizard that I want to bring up right away, and that is, in his words, he is coming up on 72 years old. You see, one of the most frequent comments that I have been getting back from listeners lately is that Sounds of the Trail does not feature enough people on the upper end of the age spectrum, which I feel like is a little bit unfair. Yes, we have had a lot of hikers in their 20s, but we've also featured a lot of hikers in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and one 71-year-old. But Pain Wizard wins at almost 72, so... As our oldest Sounds of the Trail hiker so far, he's going to tell us about why he hikes the trail, what he gets out of it, how he gets through the pain, and uh, he will share his wisdom with us. So let's hear what Pain Wizard has to say. Hey, this is Kim Chi with Sounds of the Trail, and I'm sitting at uh, Lehman Lean To, just right at the end of the 100-mile wilderness in Maine. I am so lucky to see Pain Wizard. I met Pain Wizard my very first day on the trail, and he's a massive inspiration. The last time I saw him was in the Smokies with Yogi, actually, and he passed by us. I think I was coming back from Charlie's Bunyan first thing in the morning, and he passed by to uh, go on his merry way. Pain Wizard, I'd like you to introduce yourself, and uh, if you don't mind, say how old you are, because... You crush more miles than people my age, so let's let's talk about this for a second. Just say your name, where you're from, how old you are, and what's going through your mind right now. Well, my name is John Conan, <laughs> and I am pushing 72 at this point, and uh, I'm just having a great time out here. So how many miles do you think you average a day? Right now, at least uh, 18, and between 18 and 25 a day. Okay, so he's averaging between 18 and 25, probably in the most difficult part of the, the entire trail. Southern Maine is kind of known as being really difficult. How did you feel about Southern Maine? I think Maine's easy. I, I was born up here in Maine and always lived out, uh, always been out in the woods since I was a kid. And uh, I don't think Southern Maine's that hard, except for the roots. The roots are a pain in the neck. But uh, <laughs> otherwise, Southern Maine is, isn't as hard as people make it up to be. So this is like a big thing I've been wanting to ask you. Uh, Pain Wizard also does a lot of marathons and ultra marathons. 
And he came up to us and pretty much one of the first things he told me was that he has yet another broken toe. First, let's rattle off all of your injuries because I, I, I think that'll lead me to the next question. <laughs> well, I've got a broken middle toe where it uh, attaches to the ball of the foot. That's a linear stress fracture. And then I had a bent over backwards uh, big toe fracture in Maryland. And the whole foot was twisted and the knee twisted, but that's uh, coming along. It's still stiff. But from that fall, doing a hurdle or stretch uh, overextending, I now have a, uh, a hernia on the right side that is uh, acting up, so I'm kind of slowing down to mid-teens for my mileage during the day up here to ease through with all the rain and slippery roots and rocks so a great thing that he told me was uh yeah you know with the hernia at least i can just push it back in and keep going um i mean there are a lot of people out here who quit the trail and get off the trail because of injuries and because of pain and everything else obviously for you it's a very mental thing how do you how do you kind of like get how do you go through your day? Obviously, it's a very, very mental, mental thing for you. Like, what do you, how's your, how's your brain working? I kind of end up, uh, I've heard somebody saying that they get into their Zen type thing out here when they're hiking, but it is kind of along that line. Uh, I, I come with these thoughts that come back from childhood days that, and, old, old, old music that pops into your head and you can't get rid of it because you're just wandering around. Sometimes I go past checkpoints and I don't know that I've gone by them on the Blue Blaze trails that I want to stop and get water or go to a shelter. And by the time I think about it, I'm already past it because I was just zoned out someplace and don't remember it. But uh, I just relax and go with it. So what made you decide to do the Appalachian Trail, um, especially since you've already done all these marathons and everything else? Like, why why the Appalachian Trail? Well, when, uh, when I was living in Connecticut uh, 30 years ago, I had a Boy Scout troop, and I have a log cabin up here in Maine that I'd bring them up to every other summer for two weeks, and we would hike the uh, Saddleback and uh, Sugarloaf uh, area for one week, and then the next week we'd go out and paddle the uh, through the lakes, and uh, we did that every other year. So I just said, "Oh, I'm on the Appalachian now. Maybe I'll do the whole thing when I retire." And I had planned on doing it back ten years ago in uh, 2006 with my wife, but then she fractured her back and we weren't able to do it. So uh, finally got around to being able to do it this year. Man, I'm trying to imagine you doing this with your wife, only because, and I, all I'm imagining your wife is being this, like, super tough lady. I can only imagine, since you're so tough. But do you think, I know you started with a partner. You've been by yourself for some time now. How do you feel about the hiking by yourself part of it? That's fine. Uh, very seldom you can set the same pace as someone else, even when you're running. It's nice to set a pace with somebody, but out here... Some of you are faster uphill, some downhill. And when I was hiking with the partner, he'd go uphill first, and then I'd lead on the downhills and flats, and uh, he'd have trouble keeping up. But it's, it's just a matter of, you know, your abilities, and I would, I don't mind being by myself. I can set my own pace, and in the afternoons I'm fast, in the mornings I'm slow. So this is, you're entering into the, you've just entered the 100-mile wilderness. This is the end of your of your trail. What are you thinking about? What, and knowing you, you're probably doing something crazier after this, like going to the Yukon and like deciding to walk across it by yourself. But how, what's going through your mind right now as far as the, it being close to the end of your hike? No, I'm just uh, looking forward to accomplishing it and, uh, and get down to my hometown of Rockland and uh, have my... Uh, triple lobster dinner and and then pick up a dozen lobsters to take back to Connecticut and cook up for my in-laws down there and my mother and uh, so forth and uh, and eat some more lobster. That's why I come to Maine every year. Not, not only to eat lobster but also just to be around more crazy hardcore people. 
Um, so I wanted to also quickly ask you what you do in your quote unquote regular life. Well, if you can call it regular life, uh, I volunteer full time at uh, a children's home in uh, Mesa, Arizona. We have 70 kids. I do, uh, I manage the RV park along with my wife. And then I'm out on the donation truck making uh, pickups every day. I only need to put in 30 hours a week to get my room and board, but uh, I usually put in uh, over 200 hours a month while I'm doing that. I just like to stay busy. And I also volunteer at a medical warehouse two days a week. So that just, just keeps me going. I like to be busy. Pain Wizard is, has been such a huge inspiration. I seriously just freaked. I didn't have my glasses on when he walked up to the shelter, but I knew it was him. I heard his voice. And, uh, man, it's just really, it's really, really good to see you. So good to see you. I, so I'm just going to ask you quickly, too. What was your, so far, what's been your favorite part of the trail? And what, I guess, what's been, like, the most challenging part? Because, obviously, you don't seem too challenged by too much. Well, I, I was... Uh... I think the whites are still my my favorite of uh, of the trail of of the mountains and so forth because I've always uh, liked those I've hiked those in bits and pieces before and Mount Washington was super this time 10 mile an hour winds which is unheard of up there and uh, I just kind of breezed through up there it uh, was much easier than I thought it was going to be going down on the other side was a little challenging. But being older, it, uh, all those steep parts were challenging anyway. And, and the other part was, well, part of Virginia was, was good. But I think the most challenging was Dragon's Tooth, <laughs> where I almost fell off the cliff. I managed to fall into the mountain and into a blackberry bushes and get scratched up instead of falling off the cliff. So that was good. Jesus. But, <laughs> But uh, that one, uh, anybody that does that section, even the young guys were saying, uh, you, if you can slack pack it, do. But the rest of the best part of the trail was when I had uh, my youngest son and my grandson hiking with me for uh, three or four days. So if you, a lot of people who do listen to this podcast, they don't hike, but a lot of them want to hike. And a lot of them say, oh, I'm too old to do this. Or a lot of people, that's like their biggest thing. And when I meet day hikers, they're always like, I'm too old to do this, or I don't have enough money to do that, or I can't take the time off. What kind of advice do you have to say? Because, <laughs> I mean, I'm curious to what you're going to have to say to these people. <laughs> well, you're really never too old. I didn't want to wait till I was 80, but there's, I've uh, hiked with a couple of 80-plus people out here on the trail this time. And they were able to keep up the pace pretty good. And uh, some of the other 70-year-olds, I had a hard time staying with them sometimes. A lot of them at that age, uh, if you can slack pack and you have a wife or somebody that can go along with you and do your support from bits and pieces, that's, uh, that's great. It takes, takes a lot of the extra weight off you for the one thing. But you're never really too old as long as you stay in stay healthy it's which i've been able to do other than few injuries but other than that you just it's a all 90 percent mental like it is with running long distance running you have your abilities which is 10 percent, and the other 90 percent is all mental that's awesome i man it's it's really good to talk to you i'm pretty sure people can't see me but i'm smiling pretty big well anything any last words you want to say to anybody out there before we end this this interview Hey, if you want to do it, plan well, train, be in shape. You're going to need uh, about six months of training because it is harder than, than I expected it to be, even being out on the trail in various parts over the years. and uh, But going all the way through, it's, it is tough and uh, primarily mental, but uh, you do have to be in uh, physical condition. Well, thanks, Pain Wizard. I really appreciate you taking the time. He's soaking wet right now and doesn't even care. He's stoked about life. <laughs> so I'm Kim Chi, and I'm signing out, and this is Pain Wizard. And... and goodbye, and good luck to you. So that was Pain Wizard. For all of you other folks who are listening who are perhaps on the upper end of the age spectrum as well, whenever things get tough for you, just remember, in the words of Pain Wizard, 
that the nice thing about a hernia is that you can just sort of push it back in and keep walking. <laughs> so uh, I hope I hope you feel inspired by that and and ready to tackle the world no matter what age you are. Our next interview is with Scout, who is not a hiker but a trail angel in Maine, and he's going to tell us a little bit about why he's a trail angel and what he gets out of it and what he likes about hikers. So let's hear from him. This is Kim Chi with Sounds of the Trail, and I'm sitting here with a very, very amazing trail angel. We talk about trail magic a lot on this podcast, and we usually talk about it after the fact. I've never had the opportunity to actually interview a trail angel for multiple reasons. Usually they don't want to be interviewed, just because they're so selfless and, you know, (laughs) whatever. I don't know. Or they're busy. Usually they're a bunch of, like, (laughs) hikers just, like, feeding off them, like, little children trying to get fed by their parents. I don't know. Uh, But I'm not going to tell you where we are. (laughs) I'm somewhere in Maine having the most amazing trail magic I've ever had, probably, hands down. Best clam chowder, really good burgers, great dog. Um, So I'm going to introduce you to Scout, and I'm going to let him kind of give a little background. So uh, Scout, why don't you just introduce yourself, say where you're from, and tell us how you started doing trail magic. Okay, this is... Scout, my real name is Terry Adams. I live in York, Maine. Uh, the reason I started doing this is a memorial to my son. He was a hiker. He started it twice, failed twice, but he hiked the whole trail probably twice. And he passed away suddenly, so I decided to come up and do a trail magic for him and all his friends and hikers and spread his ashes up on top of the mountain. So we did that. And I stayed for a few more days to get the food done, get rid of the food, and went home. Got home for two weeks and said, I'm going back. Because I just enjoyed meeting the people and talking to them. And they're surprised when they find me here in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> so we've been doing it for two years now. Uh, probably two to three weeks at a time. We'll take a week off and come back up. That's just about it. That's just something we're doing. So, uh, Scout has built, well, his family has had this cabin for a while. We're sitting on the porch of his family's cabin. Do you want to just give these listeners sort of a brief description of what this place is? So Because they, they, they're not sitting here with us. <laughs> I will take photos of you so they'll be able to see your handsome face. But. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. My fam- brother, my, my father and his brothers and five other guys built this camp in 1944, right after the war. Uh, it was built for hunting only, and there was a club, they called themselves the Bodfish Valley Poachers. <laughs> so it went on for years just as a hunting camp, and as the world changes, everything changes, and it's become a my summer house now. I live up here most of the summer. Uh, I've completely rebuilt it since 1944. <laughs> That's about all it is, just a shack in the woods. It's an awesome shack, and it's great. It looks like this really cool museum, pretty much. Um, there's a lot of fun stuff all over the place. I was really excited to walk up on this place for sure and to see Scout sitting there. Uh, he offered us some soda and some burgers and clam chowder, like I mentioned. So <clears throat> this is kind of, it can be kind of a, an intense thing to uh, be seeing people through hiking nonstop all day long, just because we're usually in like a weird mental space. <laughs> do you, what, I mean, what are, what are your favorite parts of doing this? And, and really, I know why you do it. Cause you just said why you do it, but why do you think you continue to do it? Oh, I think it's probably cause I feel younger hanging around with all these young people. <laughs> and I really enjoy meeting all the people from, you know, all over the world, basically. Uh, and they're really good people just to hang out with, have a good time with. So that's why we do it. <laughs> so who do you think, uh, usually trail angels will remember certain people. They stick out in their heads. Who uh, who do you think maybe are a couple of mm. hikers you've met along the way who kind of stick out in your brain? <laughs> Two that I can't really talk about. <laughs> uh Really, most everybody is some little special. There's nothing really different. They're just all great people. Like to hang out in the woods. Uh, not pretentious at all. Just down to earth. Uh, that's about it. I just enjoy being with them. 
I mean, I don't really know you that well, but I feel like I have like a pretty strong connection with you. It's got to be crazy making so many strong connections with people all throughout the day. Yeah, it is. I mean, kind of wish more of them would stay longer, but they're in a hurry to get going. <laughs> you are in a place where people are like on the move, and yeah. you know, it is even just for someone to stop here. It's like. Obviously, I got here, and I was like, oh, I'm only going to be here for a little bit, but we've been here for a little while, and I don't want to leave. <laughs> um, so, how, like, aside from this little cabin, it is a sanctuary. It's really nice here. It's so beautiful and quiet. You said you live in York. Uh, how different is, is your life there? Oh, completely different. Uh, York is a seacoast community that goes from 80,000 to 300,000 on Memorial Labor Day. <laughs> And it just gets so crowded there that I don't want to be there anymore. So that's the reason I come up here. Nice. Uh, if it wasn't for the hikers, I could stay in here for months and not see anybody at all. Which is awful nice, too. <laughs> He's got a big old sign somewhere. Again, I'm not telling you where it is. But, man, like, if you don't have that. He said if he took his sign down, even people would still come. I think people know I'm kind of far and wide on the trail. Uh, you're sort of an AT. You're definitely, yeah, you're an AT legend for sure. Um, and this place is a great place to stop. Maine is muddy. It's wet. It's, I'm going the opposite way, but uh, the 100 Mile Wilderness has been wet and damp and muddy and just really challenging. So coming here is kind of like a, God, it's like, I feel like I just ate the biggest Sunday of my life. <laughs> um, if you, I mean, how long do you think you'll keep doing this? Is is this something you want to keep doing for a while? or? Well, hopefully I'll make it to the end of October this year, and I have all the intentions in the world just keep doing it as long as I can. Nice. Well, matter of health, when I can, I can't. But. Do, um, do you Trail Angels, like, secretly have this random club where you hang out and talk about stuff? Not really. I've <laughs> never really met another Trail Angel. Really? Yep. Huh. The only one I've talked to is uh, Poet and Shaw's and Monson. He's real great. Feels <laughs> the same way about the hikers and everything. Yeah, what do you... So, did you have you have you ever hiked the trail yourself? No. <laughs> why, is that, why is that no like that? It's a horrible way to walk. You got roots, rocks, mud. <laughs> I want to go somewhere. I go straight through the woods to get to oh. it. God. Well, you said it best, Bub. I think it's the same. I don't know why we're doing this. We're masochists, but we get this, like, shining, like, ray of happiness in this cabin. So you started to sort of tell me uh, your background in general. We were talking about jobs or something like that, and you started talking about a background. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself in general, just so people can get an idea of you and who you are. Okay. I went to work on a lobster boat when I was eight years old. Kept doing that. Until I got out of high school. When I got out of high school, I had 400 traps, a 30-foot boat, had it made. Then Uncle Sam knocked on my door, so I had to go to Vietnam, so I sold everything. And I was in the CBs as a plumber, so when I came back, I went to work for a plumber. I got my master's. Went into business for myself, started lobstering again. I'd get up at 3 in the morning, go lobstering till noontime, plumb till 6 at night. I kind of got old after a couple of years. <laughs> so I got out of the lobster business again. I became a full-time plumbing contractor. Uh, then in 1985, I decided to try to move up Maine, so I built a restaurant up here. Ran that for two years. Found out there's no money in the woods. <laughs> So then I went back home and started plumbing again. Then I, what else did I do? Oh, then I finally went back into the lobstering for the last six years. But my legs are giving out, so I can't do that anymore. So I'm just up here bumming around. And making people so incredibly excited to keep moving. Uh, I don't know. It's funny. Like Sometimes I feel like you guys don't realize how much you do for us. It's great to eat, and it's nice to have soda. And beer. And, man, he offered me a Bloody Mary. Jesus, I wish I wasn't hiking. But <laughs> the way that you guys are is what keeps all of us walking. And people who are about to finish their trail, you're like the last random person they're really going to see. And they're going to carry you with them. And Lord knows I'm going to carry you with me through southern Maine because I just hear all these terrible stories about how bad <coughs> it is. So I'll think about this day and be really excited. 
Uh, you definitely are a big part of something that helps us keep going. I know that for sure. And I interview hikers all the time and I always ask them, uh, I say, what's the biggest thing you've taken from the trail? And they say, my faith in humanity has been completely restored. And usually they're talking about people like you. Mm -hmm. So if you have anything you want to say to people out there who are listening. (laughs) Oh God. I don't know where to even start on something like that, but. Keep on hiking so I can keep doing this. <laughs> That'll do it. That'll do it. All right. Well, thanks a lot for your time, Scout. I really appreciate it. I've always wanted to talk to trail angels, but they never have time for me. And this is one of the best trail magic spots I've had. It's definitely down to earth. It's nice to sit on someone's porch, and I certainly feel more welcome than I ever have. So thank you so much. You're welcome. All right. I'm Kim Chino I'm out, and you're... Goodbye, everybody. Yeah, that's Scout, and he's out. So thanks again to Scout for giving us a little bit of his time and sharing some of his experiences with us. For our last interview, we have a whole group of people who are getting interviewed by Kimchi, and they are the main Appalachian Trail Club. And they're the people who maintain the Appalachian Trail within the state of Maine, of course. And the most incredible thing about this interview is that they managed to talk for almost half an hour about trail maintenance in Maine without once calling themselves maintainers. But but maybe I'm the only one who's that cheesy. So they talk about a lot of things. This is a, a really solid interview with a lot of really great information and insight and, and trail wisdom. So you should listen to it all the way to the end. Here they are. This is Kimchi with Sounds of the Trail. And I'm going to talk to some volunteers today. We're at Bemis Mountain Lean To. We're sitting here. We got lucky. A whole bunch of volunteers just walked up. Volunteers are definitely the people who make the trail pretty much possible for us to walk. They maintain everything. We just had a great conversation about privy maintenance. (laughs) They're also, I feel like a lot of us don't really see them too often. And when we do, I really hope that all of you hikers out there thank them because they really are the people who do it for us, especially on the Appalachian Trail since it is almost all volunteer maintained. I'm in Maine. So I'm sitting with the main Appalachian Trail Club people, folks. Let's introduce some of these guys. I'm Tony from Harpersville, Maine. Tony, how did you, uh, so how long, A, how long have you been volunteering, and B, what kind of got you into doing this? I was a Boy Scout and went out on a maintenance trip 50-some years ago, and then completely forgot about the Appalachian Trail. <laughs> and then um, I was living overseas, and it's a great way to get reacquainted to America, come for a walk. So have you hiked the trail? Yes, I hiked the trail. Walk the trail. Walk, walk the trail, hike the trail. Did you do the entire trail or? Yes. I, I did a, I did a flip-flop like you're doing. Nice. Yeah. What year did you do it? 1999. Very awesome. So you're on the trail a lot, I'm guessing, since you're doing a lot of maintenance. Has it changed? Has it changed a lot? And what kind of changes have you noticed? You know, about being on the trail a lot, I think being a maintainer, part of the reason I think all of us volunteer is it forces us to get out on the trail. If we didn't have that kind of obligation, that sense of ownership to come out and maintain our section of trail or or do a job, we would, at least for me, I wouldn't get out in the woods as much as I do. So um, it's kind of a, a pleasure to have opportunity to get out here, especially when it's if it's nice weather now. <laughs> <laughs> so are you guys like the postman? Do you come out rain or shine? Uh, I'm, not, I'm not a postman. <laughs> but, um, you know, I was, I was on a trip, and it was the Camp Tiki Girls. This is a, a – Maine has a lot of summer camps. And one of the summer camps caters to French-speaking girls from Quebec. So they come to Maine for their camp, and they come out and help out on the trail. And we usually have them do kind of mule kind of work. And so it started raining – and my brother and I are going, hey, we don't, we don't work in the bad weather. And we were going to call it a day. And these girls, they just <clears throat> broke out into song and started singing French songs and started picking up logs and carrying them down the trail. And it was like, my brother and I are looking at each other, oh, crap, we have to work. <laughs> but they were, they were a tunch, tough bunch, those French Quebecois. Nice. So what kind of work do you guys do on the trail? How much of the trail do you maintain? You know, all these exciting questions. Well, I'm going to pass that uh, over to uh, Carrington, who is a experienced worldwide hiker, and he'll, he'll talk about his section. 
Awesome. These guys are hilarious. They're definitely all trying to skirt having interviews. And <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to get to talk to all of them, I think. I think I got a little hunch that this is going to happen. All right. So why don't you introduce yourself? <clears throat> I'm Carrington Rhodes. Excuse me. I'm sort of finishing up a pear. Oh, man. He's eating a pear. I should give him a break. Sorry. <laughs> Carrington Rhodes. I live in beautiful Washington, Maine, which most Mainers haven't even heard of. <laughs> and I've been maintaining for about... 15 years or so. Um, I threw hike the trail in 01. I sectioned hike it, sectioned hiked almost all of it. Uh, since then, uh, did a bunch uh, last year. And what I love about section hiking is that you can see, instead of just seeing each of it at a particular time, you really get to know one section at all different times of the year. So you see it in spring when you come out and do your first trip through, and you see it in the fall when you're kind of doing some of the longer-term maintenance projects like painting blazes or, or um, taking care of some of the water water bars and erosion control. So it's neat to just to get to know one section and, and get to know it uh, a lot better. I'm also a corridor monitor. And I have a feeling Tony and some of the others may be quarter monitors as well. I'll let them speak for that. But the, in addition to the trail, we also had to set up a bit of a boundary just so we wouldn't have a lot of encroachment from either development or uh, timber cutting or some of the other uses uh, just so that there was really nothing preventing anyone from cutting right up to the trail. So wow. the AT, ATC established kind of a protective corridor around it. And originally, the Park Service, they set it up, but that was one of the first things to get cut. So now it falls to the maintaining clubs to maintain the boundary and, and you know, make sure there's uh, no encroachment. So, um, so I help out with that. The one thing I have studiously avoided, because that would actually really involve a whole lot of work, is doing some of the executive committee stuff, which saintly people like Miss Laura over here have dutifully taken on with the campsites. Anyway, I'll let Miss Laura speak for herself with all the cool stuff that she does. But, you know, there's also there's also a lot of committee work and organizing and, and saying what ought to happen and... and and uh, dealing with issues on the trail that that we need to address uh, collectively that has to happen at a at a more of a all club level but i will turn it over to miss laura not yet you're oh. not you're not getting off that easy i want to ask you a couple of more personal questions first of all washington maine i don't know where the heck that is uh there's Nobody that does. <laughs> second you guys are completely 100 percent volunteers what you know, Tony gave me his reason for coming out and doing it. What What do you think your reason is for coming out to volunteer, and how how much time do you think you volunteer roughly for the for the club? Just curious. I like to volunteer to stay involved with the trail, and I think you know it's pretty plain to any hiker that it's it's not going to maintain itself. Branches grow in, trees fall down. You know, stuff needs to be kept in repair. I enjoyed the experience enough that I figured, well, you know, it's, it's, I want to make sure this can happen, you know, for other people in the future. So that was really my motivation for uh, volunteering. In terms of each section, I'm probably doing, I usually figure about three work trips a year. I come through once with a chainsaw then once with the, with the clippers and then once for, you know, another project either i don't do blazing every year but you know every two or three years and and you know or trying to level things out that have that have uh, gotten you know that need to be uh, leveled or just you know any sort of uh, shovel work uh, that needs to happen so i only have like a mile and change uh, to do so it's not a huge amount of time, but then you got to get there. It's a two-mile walk-in just to get to your trail set to my trail section, and then walk up. So I don't know. I'm used to it, so it doesn't seem like a whole lot. But when you add it all up, you know, with all the volunteers, it's it's a fair amount of work. And most of the heavy lifting has to be done either with a group like we're doing today, finishing off uh, building this uh, privy, or like putting in rock steps, uh, water bars. Some of that really needs a a group and, and someone that you know to lead the project that, that knows what they're doing so you know that's that's almost a different layer on top of uh, the individual trail maintainers uh, that has to happen so I'm gonna leave you alone after this last question and you can finish eating your pear and enjoying your life what 
I mean, the Appalachian Trail has a very staunch, like a very serious group of followers. People really love this trail. I did the PCT last year, and I think that community is a little bit different. Noticed Appalachian Trail lovers are like just diehard trail lovers. There's a really, really intense uh, community and, and loyalty uh, to this trail. What do you think it is about this trail that you, that brings you to it so so uh, intensely? I guess. I mean, you volunteer your time to be on it. <laughs> Yeah, the community's a little different for volunteers than it is for hikers. You know, I, I think hikers, you know, can't always choose their weather. You go out, and if you're going to be out that many days, you're going to get rained on. You're going to have bad weather. And I think the shared experience of, you know, seeing seeing it at its best, at its most beautiful, and at its most difficult, I think really brings people together. I think the, I think the shelters bring people together. You know, it's it's different for volunteers. I mean, we have a we certainly have a common interest, but you know, the maintainers are usually working on their own section and don't always see each other. So we have to make a little more of a conscious effort. But you're right. I mean, there is a there is a great loyalty and a great passion for the trail that both uh, hikers and maintainers share. It's something that you know we feel you know very proud of uh, here in Maine. We're proud of Katahdin. We're proud to be the endpoint. We're proud to be the goal of uh, so many northbound hikers in particular. We're even proud of how rough it is, even though we probably get cussed out by people that, you know, coming uh, coming north, especially after New Hampshire, and you don't, you know, have the big name uh, peaks uh, to look forward to. So, um, so yeah, I mean, you know, we're very, you know, we have a lot of we take a lot of pride in the trail, and we we get a little upset if things are a little understandard, and we you know want to make sure it's as as that it really lives up to its uh, lives up to its billing. That is a great answer. Do you can you tell me anything that hikers can do to make this a little bit easier for you volunteers? Because I don't, aside from obviously not leaving trash and crap like that around, but is there anything hikers can ever do to sort of make the trail easier to maintain for volunteers? Um. You know, I, I think the I think the big worry now is just, you know, that it's it's becoming so popular and, and so loved that uh, some of it's getting a little out of control. And I think people might do things in a group that they wouldn't necessarily do. Can I give you three things specific for our northbound people? Yes. <laughs> yeah. This is Tony again. The three things are keep your group size small. Keep down the celebrations and do the alcohol off the trail. Thank you. And I, I think that's great advice, actually, and, and that should be common sense. But um, what about what were you about to say? Probably a softer version of the same thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, you know, we want people to enjoy themselves. We want people to enjoy the the, the camaraderie, and you know, you'll have your good time. But you know, I think it's gotten to the point where. You know, more so in the towns than, than on the trail, but, you know, also we're seeing, you know, more uh, vandalism and stuff on the, and graffiti in the, in the shelters and stuff. You know, it is something that, that we need to share, and, and we don't want it to get crapped up, and the few people that, that do crap it up kind of ruin it for, uh, for everybody else. So, you know, just, I know people love the freedom of being out in the wilderness, but, you know, we're a community, we got to mind our manners a little bit, so that's, that's part of the deal, too. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. I'll let you finish your pear. <sighs> Finally, he's eating his pear. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm such a jerk. <laughs> All right. This is apparently the boss lady that oh, I get no. to talk to. Oh, yeah. no, 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 no. <laughs> There's actually everyone saying, oh, yes, in agreement, except for her. So, <laughs> so why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, my name's Laura, and I'm from Reedfield, Maine. And what exactly is your position here with these volunteers since they're calling you pretty much the, the headmaster? I am chair of the campsite committee for the main chapter of um, the Appalachian, Maine Appalachian Trail Club. So <clears throat> one of our biggest campsite deficiencies currently are privies, despite what you've uh, you know sensed from your experiences here on the trail, which were nice. enlightened to, to, to hear your perspective. <laughs> I think you obviously are a hard worker and you're hard on yourself, which is great because we're apparently going to have better privies. So what brought you to volunteering with the, with the Maine Appalachian Trail Club? It was a friend of a friend who dragged me on a trip and kind of hooked after that, just being, you know, giving the whole giving back thing and then the camaraderie of going out with a group of people. 
um, for a day and just eating and, and, you know, sharing work time together and just conversations. So, and so have you actually hiked the trail? I've done just Maine in okay. sections in winter. What? Oh, whoa. Okay. Hold on a second here. <laughs> I'm going to have to ask you a couple quick questions about that. So first of all, why in your right mind, well, you must be from really Northern Maine. No. Okay. Why, why would you do winter sections? How long would you be out for? And how much did you have to do any post holding? We did lots of post holding, but we tried to avoid that with snowshoes and the right footwear. But, um, why to hike in winter? And I guess a friend of mine had started doing it and it was a different thing to do. And it seems winter is actually a very, very beautiful season. And it's kind of an unforgiving season, too. So yeah. I liked the kind of the mental challenge. I mean, you can't just let something get wet and say it's going to dry tomorrow because it won't. So there was a lot more uh, premeditation involved in planning and in taking care of yourself and, and people you're with on the trail. That's super impressive. Did you uh, document this in any way? Do you have any place where people can see photos? Or uh, Not in one place. Uh, we gave a few presentations after we did it, um, so I've got a PowerPoint, but short of that. That's really awesome. If you ever feel like sharing that PowerPoint with us, I'm sure that my editor would love to put that on our website. Probably 100 megs because it's mostly pictures. But. <laughs> That's fine. I'm sure we could figure some way to do it. Also, so how long have you been volunteering now with the, with the club? So I think 11 or 12 years. Wow. So. And you kind of, so you're kind of like an organizer, is that right? He said you took on some of the more uh, responsibility stuff that people necessarily wouldn't want to do, I'm guessing, because of kind of bureaucratic confrontational yeah, stuff you could say that mm -hmm. yeah. yeah yeah you could say that there's a lot of uh despite what you might think of we're in a national park which is a public place and there's a lot of rules and regulations that actually govern how structures have to be now and so uh i've had to muddle my way and spend hours and hours muddling my way through a lot of that um and but then the satisfaction comes from here uh from being out here and, and doing it and being with a group of people um, that, that help you do it. So, so what, what do you think kind of brings you back to doing this? Obviously you seem like you like a lot of challenges in general, but what do you think brings you to, to kind of come out here and volunteer your time? Probably it's mostly the people, but I mean, some of it's just being in the woods. And so that combination of being in the woods and, and being with people who are, um, you know, like-minded and want, and want to, um, you know, help improve the trail and, and maintain it. And we're all very different characters, too. So kind of like, you know, just like hikers are different characters. We're all we all come from very different backgrounds here, but we come out here to spend the day together. And it's it's usually a hoot. You guys definitely got my attention. You were super <laughs> awesome and super fun when you came up here. So since you're on the I guess like the top part of organizing things. Is there anything that you could tell people who are listening? A lot of non-hikers listen to our show and people are our podcast and a lot of people are really interested in finding different ways to support different organizations. They constantly email us asking us how to do that. Is there any, any way you can tell people who are listening how they could possibly help support your organization or what your organization is all about and what you guys do? Sure. Well, we're the Maine Appalachian Trail Club, and we maintain about 267 miles of the AT in Maine, plus about 40 miles of side trail. So, and we're, we can give you our business card. Um, I'll take it. <laughs> and our club donates between 20,000 and 25,000 volunteer hours annually. Wow. And we're a club of about, what, 800, 900 members, we think. We're not really sure. We're not really great at that admin part. Um <laughs> But what can people do? I mean, there's the easy thing, but depending upon your means, you can write a check. We also, I mean, there's on-the-ground trips, and but there's also ways to support us. We also have people kind of in administrative roles that are volunteers. When you sign in at the register boxes, we actually enter all that information into a database wow. um, if people want more information. Um, so there's kind of some administrative tasks as well that need doing. And, um, you know, so there's kind of a job for everybody. That's awesome. Uh, I can't stress enough how grateful I am for you guys. And I, I really genuinely appreciate it all the time when when I'm hiking. I think that other hikers really do too. I don't know if they know to say it, but um, 
I know we got some advice from the other guys about what hikers can do to make the trail easier to maintain and just kind of take better care of the trail. Do you, cause you're at, you're actually out here taking care of it. So if you could give hikers some advice, do you have anything else you want to add to what these guys already said? No, the, the three we're preaching now is celebrate quietly and, and celebrate off the trail and to uh, hike in smaller groups. But Short of that, I mean, just the carry-in, carry-out sort of thing. We get a lot of a lot more trash left at campsites, and that we, you know, ferry out. And um, some of it's prized possessions, you know, that you actually use gain. But um, yeah, and the and the other thing would be to to use the privies and to use water appropriately. You know, not to um, not to bathe in it, but just to use it for getting drinking and cooking water, and to use the privies, because sometimes around campsites it can be kind of a minefield. <clears throat> Oh, we, yeah, we, on the PCT, we called that the poop graveyard. Yes. <laughs> um, so also, now that we're talking about privies, privies are kind of a big deal on the trail. On the Pacific Crest Trail and on the Continental Divide Trail, there are no privies. We have the pleasure and the privilege of having privies on the Appalachian Trail, and you maintain the privies. Can you tell us what goes into that? Because I think, I think if people actually know what you have to do, maybe they won't keep throwing their trash in the privy. And actually, t- tell us, please, what exactly can go into a privy? What can go into a privy? Urine, poop, and toilet paper. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so what cannot go into a privy that you f- have to dig through and find most of the time? Uh, well, there's feminine products and just general trash, plastics. Okay. So we don't want those in there. No baby wipes either. <laughs> no, no baby wipes right now. Yeah, those, those sorts of things don't decompose either. Okay. Yeah. So what exactly, like, how do privies get maintained? Well, our new style privies are these above-ground, open-air crib moldering privies. And so we thought the intent is with air, it will actually decompose faster. So we have a few volunteers who actually come in and, and the, the, it, where the seat is in the riser, you develop a cone. And so that cone needs to be raked down and leveled off, and that will help with decomposition and also the height of the cone. The cone is, you want to tell them what a cone is? I know what it is. <laughs> we could have a demo, yeah. We could do a demo of the cone. There's a pretty nice cone that started already. The cone is just where the accumulated poop is, um, you know, as it piles up and gravity just takes care of it, um, you know, and develops a nice little cone sized brown pile. Brown and white. Yeah. So um, that's the cone, but people uh, actually rake down the cone um, a couple times a year so that it doesn't get too high and also so that it will decompose because more of it is exposed um, to the air. How long does it take a cone to decompose generally? We're not real sure. We've only been doing these privies for a few years but um, the Green Mountain Club's been doing them longer and it'll be like hopefully 10 years and then we'll switch sides. You'll notice there are two bins and you'll, then we'll switch sides and that other side will just decompose for a few Ten years. years. Yeah, that's what we're hoping. Wow. We're hoping. This is, this is kind of cool because every time I go poop now, I'm going to think about <laughs> all these things, which is great. You're leaving your legacy. Yeah. <laughs> that's a sad legacy to leave. Everybody's got it. <laughs> All right, so what else? And you said you guys were doing, are you building a new privy or you're just maintaining this privy at this? No, two weeks ago there was five of us here for three days building a new privy. And um, we're up here today to finish it and to stain and paint it. And we have about 500 volunteer hours into this one privy here so far. If you guys are listening to this, there's 500 volunteer hours into that privy. So you better take care of it, you better enjoy it, and you better actually utilize it properly, okay? No no other crap in the privy except for crap. And so have you so have you been hiking more of more of the trail in the winter? Like how, did you continually do that or kind of not so much after you you did the whole thing pretty much right you said 263 miles is that right right but we actually had to hike or walk or ski um more than 450 miles because not all these roads are plowed um to do to do the trail and some sections we had to go out and then back so just because that there was no outlet on the other side for you know too far how the hell did you climb because some of these climbs i'm just trying to figure this out (laughs) Like, some of them you literally are pretty much scaling the side of the mountain. How are you doing that? Did you have cramp? Yeah, some of it was crampons. But like any any hike, it's one step at a time. Man, 
That's crazy. And it must have taken you so much longer. I'm definitely not going to complain anymore because it's probably, <laughs> it probably took you a lot longer to make multiple steps through the trail. Yeah. It was one day we did five miles in about 10 or 11 hours. It's pretty humbling. Wow. Wow. Yes. All right. I hope everyone's listening to this for real. This is, uh, this is really interesting. So what do you do in your regular life? And I forgot to ask these guys the same thing because I think volunteers... When people think about volunteers and what they do, obviously volunteers do have their own lives and they have families and they have whatever they have and they're really taking the time to come out here and maintain the trail. What kind of stuff, if you feel like answering, you don't have to, because I can have this part <laughs> edited out too. What do, you, uh, what do you like to do when you're not volunteering to maintain this beautiful stretch of trail? When I'm not volunteering and I'm not working, I guess it would be gardening. <laughs> so I grow a lot of my own veggies and produce and such. So that's my biggest thing outside of the trail. Nice. But usually it's usually it's on a trail, hiking, fishing, camping. All the good stuff, the way life should and brew be. Beer. And, and I brew beer. beer. And she brews beer. Oh, man. I'm going to come hang out with you guys. <laughs> From cleaning the privies to brewing beer. <laughs> well, I can speak for all of us. I agree. I appreciate that. Too, so. Tony's a brewer, too. Do all of you guys brew beer? And he does. Three out of four volunteers here brew beer. We're in Maine. Maine's great. Do you brew? I don't know. I drink beer. (laughs) How many of you guys drink beer? All of you drink beer. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So um, I'm going to leave you alone now and move on. But is there any any last words you want to say to anyone out there who's listening, hiking or not? Enjoy your hike. Gracias. Okay. I feel like I'm taking up all of your lunch break. Do you want to introduce yourself? This is a guy also who built a ch- uh, sweet bench, apparently, which we should talk about. Because I think we're we're going to do an interview at the said bench later on. So you can interview your... I mean, you can... Uh, you can tell me your name, and then we'll do the same questions, how long you've been with the club and why you do it. Okay. Uh, my name is Richard. I'm from Richmond, Maine. I've only... This is my fifth year. In 2009, I guess it was, I decided to take up hiking again. I did it when I was young, and and I hiked through, I I did Maine, and and then that winter I decided to find out who contacts somebody that I could uh, ask how I could repay, and I've been doing it ever since. That's so great that you guys are all, like, just wanting to help maintain the trail. Yeah, I I assumed I'd go on a couple of work trips and, um, and feel good about myself, and People like Laura and uh, Tom Gurl is the overseer of this section of Bulk Paid District. Uh, just great people, and they make you want to come back. So, uh, so basically, I keep coming back and back and back. And, uh, yeah, it's a ball. Nice. So you guys are, I think, all from, well, you're all from different parts of Maine, mm-hmm. it sounds like. How, how does it get chosen which part of the trail you're going to work on? Do you have any kind of say in that? take the next available section and that's what I did one came available and um, I grabbed it and have had it this is my fifth year doing that trail section basically only if you have a few skills they appreciate it and and go to work well apparently you have more than a few skills you build a bench why do you want to talk about how stuff like that happens in the backcountry I uh, know I built it at home and strapped my backpack to it and carried it in that way I would have a place to sit. It's about halfway of my trail section, and it's a nice, great viewpoint, and I get to sit down and have my lunch now. So, oh man, I really wish we could, like, name this bench for you. <laughs> I name. Oh, uh, no you way. You there in three miles. I'm really excited. It's a, it's a three- or four-mile hike up to his bench. I'm going to take a picture of it so everybody can see it. So you have hiked only the main section of the Appalachian Trail, is that right? Yeah, I've been... From Crawford Notch in New Hampshire to Katahdin. That's as far as I've made it this far. That's a good, that's a good section to go. Yes, Most is. hikers would argue that that's like the best part of the trail. <laughs> so I don't need to do the rest, just saying. I think you could do the rest. <laughs> okay. I haven't even done all the rest of it, no. so I don't know. <laughs> Maybe someday. What do you think are the most rewarding parts of volunteering for you? Definitely groups of people like this. Uh, great people. I, I don't experience this in my work life or and other activities that I do that just camaraderie, uh, they're just great people. Uh, makes makes work worth it. It does. That's awesome. So how many hours do you think you kind of contribute to, to doing this? Like how much of your time does it take to do this? I would need a calculator. <laughs> uh, this year especially, it was a bad winter for trees, for blowdowns. Uh, I think most of us here 
did several trips. Normally I can do my section and do water bars in one good long day. And it took me three days just to do the blowdowns and went and worked with on a, quite a few different sections. Laura and I did uh, together uh, because it was it was bad. It was bad. I think everyone here that's been out can agree. Um, it was people hikers getting lost. It was that bad. So, if people get lost, you guys do you guys do like a volunteer rescue too or no? Um, I have not been involved. Uh, there are some that have been. Um, there's Usually, local wardens and local rescue units will be involved. That's not our job, um, but uh, and they most generally they want you trained if to do that stuff. So I haven't yet. I mean, huh. they have they have training courses. So. I think you probably would be good at it. <laughs> we know the area somewhat well, so. Yes. So I'm guessing you're probably going to do this for as long as you like, probably. More than likely, as long as my body will stand it, it hurts <laughs> some days. But no, as long as I can, absolutely, I love it. That's awesome. Um, do you, because I probably have to wrap this up too, because we got to mm. keep walking. Do you have anything that you want to say to any hikers who are listening to this, or people who don't hike, or even people who want to volunteer? Because it sounds like you, you just got into volunteering five years ago. Mm. So do you have any kind of advice if anyone wants to get into that? If you're in Maine, just uh, you can go on the website and there's contacts for several contacts of all, every committee member, overseers, uh, plenty of info there. I, and or at the register boxes, you fill it out. You can just leave your name and what you would like to do, what your abilities are, and someone will contact you. And lastly, what is your favorite section of the trail in Maine and why do you think it's your favorite section? Uh, my section, because I spend the most time there. <laughs> uh, it is. It's it's a great section through here. I like it. Uh, it's usually generally some great viewpoints. Uh, I don't know. I don't have a favorite section in Maine. I guess Bigelow is my favorite mountain, but short of that, I like uh, it's, a, it's a sweet spot. It's nice. Mostly because I, it was the first section I ever did when I was like 15. So, <laughs> so. Very nice. Well, I really appreciate all of you guys taking the time to talk to me. Again, I can't say enough how much I appreciate the work you guys do, and you definitely made my day. I'm doing like a tiny day today, but it was great to sit and have lunch with you guys and pear eating and all that stuff. Socks. Oh, yeah, and we got the same socks. Oh. Woo! <laughs> so on that note, I'm going to end out. Can I see that card real quick? Yeah. If anyone wants to check out the Maine Appalachian Trail Club, you definitely should go to www.matc.org. We'll definitely have a link to this on our website as well once this interview goes up. But uh, thanks again, and I'm Kim Chi, and I'm out. So that is our last interview for the main show. We have no more interviews for you today. But before we wrap up the show, there, there are a few things that I sort of wanted to talk about a bit more that the Maine Appalachian Trail Club brought up. And that is specifically about supporting the trail. And they talked about a couple things that we can do as hikers or non-hikers to support the trail and the trail community. And a couple of those things, they brought up three things for hikers specifically that we could do, which is to keep our group small, to keep our celebrations quiet, and to uh, keep alcohol off the trail. And I think those are pretty reasonable suggestions that can help really ease the burden on the trail and the trail community. And the other thing they talked about was how to support the, the people who do the maintenance of the trail themselves by donating your time or your money or your sweat to some of these groups that do trail maintenance. And although most of us do not live in Maine, most of us live someplace where there are trails, whether that's Arizona or Ohio or California or Washington or Florida. And if you, if you appreciate having trails and being in a trail community or having access to these places, even in other places, one thing that you can do is to look and see which groups are in your community that you can help out with. And then finally, there is one thing that they did not bring up about supporting the trail and the trail community that I really wanted to, and that thing is voting. So the political season is warming up right now in the United States, and no matter which side of the political fence or, or wilderness you lay on, uh, I think one thing that I would hope that we can all agree on is that wilderness and wild areas and trails and trail corridors are things that are important to us as, as, as people, 
as Americans, if you're from this country, they're, they're incredible. I mean, we have these resources because other people took the time to make sure that these things happened and were preserved. I mean, we have people, like they're talking about, on the Appalachian Trail who go and maintain with their free time these, these trail corridors. But the reason we have trail corridors or trail at all is by acts of Congress and by people telling our representatives that these are things that we value and are important to us. So one thing that perhaps you might not have done that you should think about doing is letting your own senator and your own representative know how important these things are to you. And I have actually posted a link on the Sounds of the Trail website, which is just soundsofthetrail.com, which will help you find who your representative is. And that will have information for you to call them, to email them, to write them a letter, whatever form you are most comfortable with. I, I really hope you'll consider taking a moment to, to let your representative know that, that wilderness and forest and wild country is something that is important to you and important to the American people so we can have these for a long time. So that's my soapbox. That's all I have today, folks. So uh, thanks for tuning in. If you wrote me an email asking me to send you a sticker, I am getting to them one at a time. I'm a little bit buried, but I'm uh, going to get back to you. So with that said, have a great week and we'll see you soon. Rock Candy Mountain, you never have to change your socks. And little streams of alcohol come a trickling through the rocks. All the railroad bowls at the tip of their hats, and the railroad bowls are all blind. There's a little lake of stew and a whiskey, too. You can paddle on around it in your big canoe on the big rock candy mountain. On the big